0: to you about before, uh, finding me in the Old Testament. And he summarized the Old Testament by saying it's the law, it's the prophets, and it's the Psalms. It's about me. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, that's interesting because heretofore they couldn't understand these things. Jesus was talking to them and explaining these things, but they just couldn't understand. But now Jesus said, listen, I'm going to take away the veil so that you can understand. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Jesus is connecting the gospel as we know it to the Old Testament, and he's saying to them, The thing that was really necessary is for my life and my sacrifice on the cross to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And they were witnesses of these things Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and uh, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. We find here in the story that Jesus is, in effect, passing the torch. Uh, For these 33 years of his life, he has been walking across the pages of history. And now he is ready to leave, and he's ready to give his followers what we call the Great Commission. And uh, this is certainly happening at at an apropos time, because right now is, uh, in my estimation, uh, the beginning of summer. I call summer June, July, and August. And these are the times of our life that we have to be strong in the Lord, I think more than ever, because there are so many distractions that take us off focus. Sometimes in the middle of the winter, we come to church, we huddle together, we, we have our cell groups, we have our Sunday school classes, and we, we stay pretty well focused. But in the summertime, people are traveling. They're, they're, they're just going all over the place, and it's hard for, harder for us to stay focused. I heard about a young boy. He asked his mother and his grandmother to play with him in his new sandbox in the front yard. Of course, no grandparent could ever say no to an invitation like that, couldn't he? And so they did. Mother and grandmother got... He equipped them well with a shovel and a pail, and they began to use it at his request. And as the two women became involved in conversation, they began to notice that people passing by seemed very interested in what they were doing. And it was then that they realized that they had become so busy in talking that they had not noticed that the little boy had gone in the backyard to play with someone else, <laughs> leaving them alone to play with each other in the sandbox. It's so easy to lose our focus, isn't it? It is for me, it is for you. You know, we come to church and we do our little routine and we, think, we check the list, okay, I did that for the week, okay, I have to attack my week now. But, uh, you know, we can't afford to do that because life is precious, isn't it? Life is precious. Every moment is precious. And God has given you the life that you have and the moment you have right now, uh, not for your glory, but for His glory. And in order for us to fulfill the purpose for which we were born, we have to stay focused. Jesus Stayed focused all the way to the cross. Uh, his mission now is completed. We call it redemption. It's the crux, the apex, the grand finale of what Jesus did on earth. He purchased our salvation by paying the price for our sins. And and he said when he died on the cross, it is finished, and that simply meant that every single thing that was ever needed for your soul's salvation was at that point in time completed. Never to have anything more added onto it, but your faith, that's all. Your faith had to be added onto it. And when he was praying to his father in John 17, he said, I've finished the work which you've given me to do. And so now Jesus kind of like, uh, theoretically, washes his hands and says, Okay, now, I've done my part. Now it's up to you. And so here we find these disciples... And uh, he is passing the torch to them. These are his last words to his disciples on earth. Now, some of your Bibles have a division between verse number 43 and verse number 44. And that's a good thing because if your Bible doesn't have a division there, draw a line through it because a new section starts in verse 44. Verse 43 back is talking about another appearance of Jesus. This is the last appearance of Jesus. And he says here in verse 44 uh, that uh, he came to fulfill the writings in the Old Testament. That is the source of our mission. Where does this whole idea of mission come from? You know, uh, you've heard it many times. You're on a mission and I'm on a mission. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. We call them the writings. It's wrapped up in what we call revelation. What we know about God is what he has revealed to us. And he has revealed to us certain things in certain ways. And one of those ways, you may have heard this before, is called general revelation. And that means when you go to Uniontown in the fall, drive up the mountain on the summit there, and uh, look back over Uniontown uh, and see those gorgeous trees up there, and you say... Who painted that? That's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. That's general revelation. And it's given to us in the Bible this way. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Whenever you look at the sky, you say, boy, who did that? Well, you know, there's an attack against creation, of course, in our schools and in our colleges. And, and uh, professors try to intimidate our students. Uh, much of it can be dated back to Charles Darwin. That name is familiar to you. But, you know, he struggled even with his own theory of evolution. Uh, he said this. To suppose that the eye, the human eye, with all of its imitable contrivances, for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberrations, could have taken form by natural selection or evolution, seems, I freely confess, absurd to the highest degree. Charles Darwin never wanted you to bring up the issue of your eye because it threw him for a loop. He said, it is absurd to think that something like that, so complex and so powerful, could have happened accidentally. We believe in creation of God, don't we? We, be- we believe in this world that runs so perfectly that God is the designer. That's general revelation. But there is such another revelation called special revelation, and that's how God chose to reveal himself through miraculous means, physical appearances of God, dreams, visions, the written word of God, and most of all, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. That's special, special revelation. And so what Jesus is saying right here is, I told you when I was here about all these things in the Old Testament, and the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, they concerned me, and I want you to see me in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament stories were the building blocks to prepare the way for Christ, so that when he came, there could be a meticulous parallel between the writings, the Old Testament, and the person, Jesus Christ." the prophecy, and the fulfillment. So the early church could take the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and challenge people to the identity of Jesus Christ. They could say, hey, listen, don't you see Jesus in the law? Don't you see Jesus from the prophets? Don't you see Jesus in the Psalms? Uh, That's what he's talking about. Uh, The Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. They simply called it the, the Scriptures. They didn't have an Old Testament. They just had the Scriptures. And I'm sure that as Jesus walked among these people, he talked to them about the covenants. They had the Old Testament. Jesus was a teacher of the Old Testament. He taught them about the Abrahamic covenant. Remember Genesis 12. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the person that blesses you, and I'm going to curse the person that curses you. And through your seed, the Jews... All the families of the earth is going to be blessed, and we certainly have, haven't we? And then I'm sure that he brought up the story of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord says, I'm going to perpetuate your throne, King David. And one of these days, somebody is going to sit on your throne that will reign forever. And that is none other than Jesus. And then there was the new covenant, and that promised a new heart. And Joel chapter 2 tells us about the pouring out of God's Spirit which creates a new heart in people. And then in the Old Testament, there were the sacrificial system speaks of the suffering and the death of Christ. And the standard for these sacrifices was so high, these sacrifices had to be without blemish. And God says, listen, I don't want you to bring me any blemish sacrifices. I want you to give me the best. And so God did that when he sent Jesus Christ to die upon the cross for our sins. He gave us the best ever he was without sin. He was perfect in every part of his being. I saw a cartoon one time of a boy talking to his girlfriend on the phone. His girlfriend was trying to get him to read the Bible, and and girls are pretty effective at that, especially if boys like them that much. And so he started to read the Bible in the Old Testament, and he was shocked to find out. He said to her, This is all about the Jews. And you know, when you read that for the first time the Old Testament, you come up with the same conclusion. This is about the Jews. But you know, the longer you read the Old Testament, you know what the next conclusion is? The next conclusion is, this is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. And so Jesus is reminding them of that right here. He opens up their understanding. He opens up the scriptures to them. And now this was just happening now uh, gradually during this period of time. But now the Lord doesn't do it that way. He does it another way. Whenever you become a Christian, whenever you open your heart to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he opens the scriptures to you through the teaching of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Let's read this this morning, okay? But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this is one of my all-time favorite verses because it explains why people can't understand the Bible. You know, you give somebody a Bible and, you say, and they say, oh, thank you, uh, and they take it home and they open it up and they say, even though this is written in English, it's Greek to me. Well, the Bible says here, but the natural man, the unsaved man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. There is a barrier here. Uh, for they are foolishness to him. They take the Bible that you give them and they say, hey, listen, there's a whole lot more fun things to do than this. I think I'll just set it over here uh, on the mantel or the coffee table and just look at it. They're foolishness to them. Neither can he know them. Uh, A person is blind to the things of God because... They are spiritually discerned, or the things of God are only spiritually understood and so essentially, this book is a pretty well a closed book to somebody who is an unspiritual person. Yeah, they can read the words and they can they can go from chapter to chapter, and they can they can read their Bible through from one end to the other, but the, it doesn 't really resonate with them spiritually There's, they can 't get the spiritual lessons out of it until they place their faith and trust in Christ, and then the Bible explodes with meaning toward them. Uh, then they begin to understand the things of God, and so the source of our mission is what we know about god it's in the writings, and that 's why it is so important for you and for me to never become familiar, never become take it for granted. Uh, that we have a Bible or we have a bunch of Bibles in our home. Uh, The only way that the Bible is relevant in our life is is if we read it and if we pray that God will give us his truth. Uh, And when that happens, wonderful things happen. Uh, When Jesus was explaining this very idea to remember the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that after he opened the scriptures to them, he said, our heart burned within us. That's what happens with the writings. When you read the writings, your heart begins to burn within you. How am I going to live this out? How can I share this with my friends? How can I make a difference in my world? That fire will begin in you to burn. The next thing I want you to notice this morning is in verse number 46, the subject of our mission. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That's the subject. Now, remember, I said we're on a mission. And our mission is given to us from the writings, the Bible. But the subject that we are to take on our mission is the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we call that the gospel. You know, there are many things that we can debate and I, say, I think Satan tries to get us off track to get out on the peripheral of, uh, of spiritual conversation. Hey, let's debate this, let's debate that, let's go and learn about this. And uh, the most important thing that we have to always keep in front of us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, you can go out there and you can debate these issues, and you can walk away and maybe sometimes even win the debate, But will that really help that much a person who is in need of Christ? Uh, What a person really needs is the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died upon the cross for their sins. Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed That's the bullseye. Don't let the devil get you off track. Shoot for the center, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs that more than any other single thing in this world. And so that's the subject. That has to be the subject. When we talk to people, we have to say, Hey, you know, that's interesting. Let us deal with that later. Now, let me explain what Jesus did for us upon the cross. That's hitting the bullseye right there. Now, what is the response that we want to see from that? Look at verse 47. That repentance and remission of sin should be preached, beginning in Jerusalem. That's the response we want to see. Repentance. I think it was D.L. Moody who said one time that repentance is the tear in the eye of faith. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, this is what he said. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is repentance? Repentance is forsaking the past and embracing the future with Christ. It's turning around. It's going in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. The best definition I can give you is this. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. We change our mind about what we used to think about Jesus. I think probably most of you in this room this morning, before you came to Christ, you believed that you were okay, right? In fact, most of the people that I run into out here in our community and I try to share with them the gospel, they believe they're okay. And many of them are very, very good moral people. But you have to change your mind about that. You have to come to the place that you realize, listen, I'm not okay no matter how moral I am and no matter how good I am and no matter all of my good deeds and all of these things, that's not good enough. I'm lost. I'm separated from God. Repentance means you have to change your mind about that. You have to agree with God rather than what what other people are saying about you. And so this message of repentance has to be preached. People do have to change their mind in order for their attitude to be changed toward God and their life to be changed. And he says, I want you to preach repentance in Jerusalem. And I think when he said that here, their, their, their heart probably sunk because that's the hardest place to preach. The hardest place to preach. Listen, they just crucified Jesus on the cross in Jerusalem. Their thought would be, I'd like to get out of town here. This is one very dangerous place. And so Jesus said, you've got to begin in the hardest place. You know, I, I think most of the people in our church, if you're like me, you work off of a to-do list, don't you? You get up in the morning and you, you start writing to-do, I have to do this, I have to do this. And the list kind of goes like this. And, uh, and, you, and you look over the list and, and aren't, aren't we inclined to start with the easiest things on the list? We have this big thing, this heavy thing right down here, and we're like pretending it's not on the list. And so we start to work the list, and uh, we get the couple easy things worked off, and this thing haunts us, the thing on the bottom. When in reality, what should we have done? We should have taken a deep breath and done that first. That's what Jesus is asking the disciples to do take a deep breath. We're going back into Jerusalem, and we're going to preach repentance and remission of sins right there. You know, our people love to go on mission trips. I was just thinking about that the other day. I had such a great time in Ecuador last summer. I, I'm thinking, man, I'd just like to get on a plane and get down there. And we're so bold on the streets of a foreign country because we know in just a couple of days we're getting out on the plane and coming home. And it doesn't matter what those people think because we'll probably never see them again. But, you know, when we go to work in the office and our buddy is over there in the cubicle or our boss is over here and we're conversing, it's, it's really, really tough for us to deal with that because we know that if it goes haywire, things, uh, things won't work out very good for us in the future. Our relationship is, could be exploded. Jesus said, go preach in Jerusalem. It's good to begin where we are tempted not to begin. Jesus had a tremendous love for the Jews. In Matthew 23, 37, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. My message to you today is this. Go preach in Jerusalem. Don't put it off. You might say, Boy, I'll tell you, on my list, I have all these people that I want to share my heart with, but this is the hardest one. Move the hardest one. I remember years ago, there was a lady in our church. Actually, she's still here. She said, I want you to come by and witness to my husband. I was afraid to do that. I know you don't believe that. I was afraid. And I thought, oh, is that going to be hard? And so I put him on the list, but he never seemed to get moved very far on my list. And so one day I really got, I got tired of looking at his name on the list. And I thought, this is not right. God tells me to go to, and she wants me to go, so I better go. And so I remember, and I expected this real hard conversation, and it was just so terrific when I got there. And he said, oh, come on in. Uh, It was awesome. He accepted Jesus as his Savior. Uh, A few years later, he died. But almost every Sunday, she sits right up here in the front in the first service. Uh, That was hard. That was hard for me to do that. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm not telling you that to brag about it or anything, but I'm just telling you that I have a hard time with that too. But we have to begin in Jerusalem, that circle, that close circle. So begin there and work your way out. Uh, what is the power of the mission? Look at verse number 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need it was promised it was the pro, it's called the promise of the father because it was promised in the old testament joel chapter 2 it shall come to pass afterward that i'll pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions well giving of the spirit remember if you were here last sunday i talked to you that uh, in a previous appearance of Jesus after the resurrection, remember the Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now these people of whom I'm talking about today, his disciples, they had the Holy Spirit, I believe. And we call that event the inauguration. At Pentecost is the implementation. And so at this particular time, I believe, from my study, that the pouring out of the Spirit in these few days here after the crucifixion is kind of a gradual thing. Jesus met with his disciples. He breathed on them. (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. They did. That inaugurated them in the things of God. And then on Pentecost, uh, they were controlled by the Spirit. There is a starting point and there is a controlling point. And I want you to make special notice, notice of this today because everybody who has accepted Jesus as their Savior, that's the starting point. Titus 3.5 says this, Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy he saves us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit moves into you. We call it the indwelling Holy Spirit. But being controlled by the Holy Spirit is a different thing. It is a different thing. That's what we mean by the filling of the Holy Spirit. In order to be filled with the Spirit, we have to be emptied of ourself. That's a job, isn't it? Because we have our own thing and we have our own plan and we have our own agenda. And so many times we take that to the Lord and we say, Lord, would you bless this and God doesn't want to have anything to do with it because it wasn't, didn't emanate from Him. And so as the Lord empties us of ourself, He is able to fill us with Him and so that we are controlled. As we yield our will to His will and we get on His channel, uh, that's the power of the mission. And so whenever we are completely under the control of the Holy Spirit, then some, things, some positive things can happen. Well, as he told them this, we find the next thing, the blessing of the mission. He blessed them. He led them out to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And I don't know what he said, but I know in the Old Testament when the priests blessed the people, this is what they said. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I don't know whether the Lord said that to the church or not, the seeds of the church. But that's the attitude of the Lord after he gives the Great Commission. He tells them, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now let me bless you. And so I think that we have to keep this in mind. As you and I go out with the message of Jesus Christ, let us realize that the Lord is blessing us. He's blessing us. We are under his blessing. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that really encourages me. That's the attitude of Christ to the church today. Jesus wants to bless the church. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless me as we go out and do his will. I don't think he's particularly interested in fulfilling your idea. But when you move over on his agenda... Get on his plane. That's when the blessings come. I'll bless you. Now, what is the desire of all of this mission? What is the desire of it? Let's look at it. Verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. They worshipped him. That's the desire of this mission. What does God want from you and me? He wants us to worship Him. And what that means is to hold Him in the highest esteem of any other thing in our world, any other thing in our life, to hold Him up, to adore Him and to cherish Him, and to communicate that to Him, not only by what we say, but by what we do. To worship Him. Uh, That's what happened. These people finally knew with clarity who Jesus was. They finally learned. They put it into focus. Even Thomas said, you're my Lord and my God. The whole picture came together for them. And this was their response. The only appropriate response to Jesus' gracious life and message of salvation is worship. And so this is why you and I need to be focused. We need to focus on the writings, which give us Jesus in the Old Testament. We need to be focused on being yielded to the Spirit. And we need to be focused on giving the gospel. And as we do that, uh, there's something inside of us that evokes worship to Christ. Now, Jesus is ascending into heaven here. And... uh, This signifies the end of his earthly ministry. It signifies success in his earthly work. It marked the return of him to his former glory. And it allowed him to begin to prepare a place for you because, remember, that's what he said in John chapter 14. When I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It indicated the beginning of a new work, the work of Christ as the high priest. And it set the pattern for his return. As he visibly ascended into heaven one of these days, he's going to come back down to earth that same way. And the Bible says, every eye shall see him. And so here he is, and he has, in a nutshell, given these disciples his last words. And he has taken the torch, which he has held, and he has placed it in the hands of his disciples. And so here we are. Removed by hundreds of years, the next generation. We're the torchbearers. We really are. You know, the flame in the marathon tower in each Olympic stadium is the most recognizable symbol of the Olympics. Dating back to ancient Greece, when the athletes competed in a relay race and they passed the torch from one another to the last runner. Many years for many years the flame was extinguished due to neglect and turmoil in the world but it was officially reignited in 1928 the idea of the marathon rally was started again in 1936 from ancient olympia to berlin it took 12 days 13 nights 3300 participants as they passed the torch one to another Well, here we find in the Bible a passing of the torch. God has handed to you a torch to bear for him in your lifetime. That torch is the light of the gospel. It's the knowledge of God in our world. And I'll tell you, we really need to hold the torch pretty high because in our world, in America, the land of the the free and the brave, it's getting darker and darker, isn't it? And the torch is going to make more difference than ever as we hold it up. Uh, when our kids go off to college, they're going to be tried to be intimidated. Uh, and the college professors, some of them, most of them, are going to say, listen, uh, black is white and white is black. And our kids need to be able to stand up and say, no, sir, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Uh, and so Jesus has given you a torch and he's given me a torch. And, and this summer, I want you to, every day you get up this summer, to look around the room before you leave your bedroom and say, okay, where's the torch? Where's my torch? I'm picking it up. And when you go on vacation and you say, I just got to get out of the burg, for a while. I just need to get out of here. And I need to sit on the beach and stare for at least two days. Uh, That's okay. Just take the torch, okay? Just take the torch. Don't lay it down. Don't lay it down. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. You're the torchbearer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ. Maybe, uh, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you're a good person, but the Lord is showing you that uh, that's not good enough. That's not got what God reta- requires for salvation. The thing He requires is a change of mind to tell Him honestly from your heart that you're not good enough and that you're separated from Him because of your sins. I'd like to invite you to invite Christ into your heart this morning in our church. Right there in your seat where you sit. Just pray a simple prayer to him of faith and say, Lord, I know my sins have separated me from you. Forgive me. I repent. I turn away from those things which are unpleasing to you. I turn to you. And you alone is my sole salvation. Just in your own words from the bottom of your heart, just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, this is it. I want to be on your team. You're here today and and you're a Christian, but you're far from the days where you got up in the morning and said, where's my torch? The pressures of life have overwhelmed you. You become preoccupied. And I know that's easy for all of us. I want to ask you today on the beginning of our summer months to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm picking up my torch again. I'm picking it up. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to be a torch bearer in my generation for the for my lifetime. Let's commit ourselves to that end today. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, the last exhortation the last commission that jesus gave to his disciples on earth we pray that we will be able to internalize uh, this in our world today and when we make our way away from this hill today we pray that all of us will visualize in some way that we are carrying the torch into this dark world in your name In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, just feel free to do that now.